This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, good morning, y'all. How's it going? I'm Luke. Um, Tim, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for allowing me to be a part of this series. Um, the spiritual art of subtract, subtraction. I, I had wondered um, if maybe the sermons got shorter each week or something, or... So I've got like five minutes prepared. We should be good. Um, I also found it interesting that, you, that I came as a guest preacher in the week that we talk about stuff. I don't know about you, but I have lots of stuff. And I was like, thanks. I really want to talk about that. Um, I, I am very thankful to be here. Um, thankful for Tim's friendship, um, for the work that you all do. I have observed Apex from afar, from Asheville, not very close as Tim would like it to be. Um, and I'm very thankful for your work and thankful for who you all are and what you do in this community and the world and how you lead uh, others in Methodism. So thank you for that and thank you for what you do. Uh, may we pray together. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word which challenges us and pushes us and makes us to think and wonder. We thank you, God, that you are first and foremost enough. Help us to live that out in our lives. God, it is my prayer that you would speak to each of us here today. Speak that we might hear your word for us, and oh God, it is my prayer that you'd speak through me, and if necessary, in spite, speak, oh God, that we might hear your word for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thoreau says this, a man or woman is rich in proportion to the number of things that he or she can let alone. A man or woman is rich in proportion to the things that he or she can let alone. Our passage today comes in the book of Matthew. It's an interesting passage. A few weeks ago, Tim sent me two passages that I got to choose from one of them. I didn't like either one of them because they're both hard. This one felt less hard to me, although it's a scale of 1 to 10, they're both 10s. It's a passage from Matthew chapter 19. It's a passage that talks about a rich young ruler, a young man who comes and asks Jesus a question and the response is a response that convicts us and makes us think about stuff. So hear these words. Matthew 19, verse 16. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, also love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So now there's Black Friday that starts really Thursday, and there's Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday, and all of those come before Giving Tuesday. Is that ironic to you all? <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that a whole lot. I don't really get in, I don't, if I get a Friday where I can be with my family, I don't go anywhere, and I, I, but I do shop and we do have things, and I love the internet, and I appreciate Amazon that it comes quickly to me. But it seemed to me that when I thought about that this week as far as uh, decluttering and subtraction and what it means to, to think about our stuff and our things and my things, and specifically this passage, I found it kind of ironic that, you know, Black Friday, which starts on Thursday, and Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday all come before Giving Tuesday. You see... I recognize that we all have stuff and that more than likely we're not all going to leave this place and sell our our possessions and give our, our things away. But what I wonder is if maybe there's a more intentional way for us to interact with the things that we have. What I wonder is if maybe there's a way to act more intentionally about how we buy things, what we buy, why we buy and that rather than those things directing us how we live in this world directs what we do and why we do it see the thing of it is is that we're going to do these things we're going to buy food we're going to buy clothing we're going to live in a place the question is whether or not we do it intentionally or passively whether we do it proactively or reactively one of the things i wonder about when i read this passage is whether or not jesus is calling us to a posture of life so the rich young man just trips me out a little bit i'm not gonna lie when when he asks what do i need to do jesus says well you got it he lists the commandments of uh, honor your father and mother love the lord your god don't murder don't commit adultery he's like oh yeah i got all these does that seem a little bit naive, maybe? <laughs> Tim used the word naive this morning. I thought it was perfect. Like, does that seem just a little bit naive to you all? I, I, it, maybe he did follow all of those things perfectly. Maybe he loved his neighbor as himself. But I don't know about you, but sometimes that's hard for me. And that's something I need to work on. My guess is, is if we follow all of those commandments perfectly... If we, if we hit all of the marks perfectly on the commandments, you know, right, what? Something to challenge us may be to sell all of our possessions. Maybe that is kind of a deep cut. So that's a next level. But maybe for those of us normal humans who are trying to figure out how to live life each day, the question is, how do we interact with our possessions? As I prepared for this sermon, this conversation I looked up some statistics about stuff in America that were really kind of crazy to me. Do you know that we have more storage facilities in the United States than McDonald's 
and Starbucks combined? Let that sink in for a minute. There are around 50,000 storage facilities in America, storage units that you can rent to put stuff in. And combined, McDonald's and Starbucks are about 26,000, almost double. So in the U.S., 65% of self-storage renters have a garage. (laughs) 47% have an attic, and 33% have a basement. As of 2015, 90% of the self-storage units in America were occupied. 90%, leaving only 10% vacant. This was the the interesting thing to me, and I cross-checked a a couple different places, and so it's fascinating. If every American, every American, if we decided at the same time to stand underneath the rooftop of a storage facility, we would all fit underneath all the rooftops. Let that sink in for a second. If we all stood together, every American, we would fit underneath the rooftops. Other thing, thinking about this Cyber Monday and Black Friday, and 28% of shoppers enter into the holiday season still paying off last year's Christmas buying. Over 50% of shoppers either overspend on their budget or don't have a budget at all. 51, and, and so that's interesting, right? So we overspend, that kind of thing. But then listen to this on the converse side of, of we, those of us that receive. 53% of people report receiving gifts that they don't want. $16 billion was wasted on every, or waste, is wasted on unwanted gifts every year in America. 18% of gifts are never used, and 4% of gifts are given away before they're ever opened. That's crazy, isn't it? Like, those, those stats kind of overwhelm me, and they overwhelm me because they're big. So what does it mean for us right here, right now? One of the things that you all have been doing over this, the course of this series is taking a look at, um, at saints. Saints that have impacted us in the church and, and impacted who we are as Christians. And there's two saints that I want to talk about this morning. One is one that was planned and one is one that has made a big difference in my life. The first is St. Francis. So St. Francis um, was born in the 12th century. Uh, actually born to uh, nobility and wealth. Uh, he, his dad was a silk trader. Uh, St. Francis was someone that uh, grew up throwing parties and having lots of stuff. Part of his conversion experience, part of his, his conversion of his life was moving from that stuff to a life of, um, of, of not having anything. In 1207, he founded... Uh, what were the Franciscan monks? He, he went to Pope Innocent III in 1209 and, and wrote a rule of life. And a part of that rule of life, he required members uh, to own no property. He required members to use the, the good nature of the churches in the areas where they would go and preach. 
in order to live and have food and a place to stay. St. Francis, who uh, many of you know the name because of our current, the current Pope of the Catholic Church, uh, Pope Francis. As a cardinal, he was reminded uh, by one of his other cardinals when he was going to be elected not to forget the poor, which is why he chose the name Francis for his papal name. Francis reminds us, St. Francis reminds us that together we have the opportunity to share of who we are and what we are and what we have so that all might have the opportunity to have enough. One of the reasons that monasticism, like Tim mentioned, uh, I work for an organization called Missional Wisdom Foundation. Uh, we tried to find the three most uh, obscure words and put them together to name an organization. Uh, missional means sent. Wisdom is that knowledge which is outside of ourselves that comes from God. And we call ourselves a foundation because we help other folks get things started. Things like residential intentional communities or house churches or uh, adaptive reuses of churches. We have a co-working space and a co-working kitchen in Asheville and a, and a church that was going to be closed. But part of our work is in neo-monasticism, new monasticism, new monastics. And the interesting thing about monasticism is that the reason monasticism worked is that people lived in community and they took care of each other. Uh, as we were driving this morning over, Tim reminded me of a phrase that I think is wonderful. Proximity does not mean community. Uh, some of us live very close to our neighbors, but we may not know them by name. Some of us live very close to our neighbors, but we may not take care of each other. I think part of this question around stuff is how do we use the things that we've been given, the gifts that we've been given, to care for each other? The reason that the Franciscan order works is because they have a community together and they're a part of something that is bigger than themselves. Another monastic that has influenced my life greatly is St. Benedict. Uh, St. Benedict was a uh, 4th and 5th century uh, monastic. He wrote what is called the Benedict's Rule of Life. Uh, St. Benedict's Rule of Life is that which uh, orders uh, the Benedictine monks. What does that mean? If you think of a rule of life, have you ever seen uh, green beans grow? Ever seen green beans grow? And you know that you grow beans on a trellis? Or you grow them on some, some wire? That's where we had in my house, wire. But um, you grow beans on a trellis. Think of a rule of life as like a trellis. It's not that which tells us what to do or dictates our lives, but it's that that helps us grow. St. Benedict's rule of life helps guide the monastic life. It is a posture for how we live. This posture helps us interact with those things that we have in our lives. One of my favorite books, uh, there's this guy named John McKiston II. McKiston lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He is a United Methodist, and he, by day, is a lawyer. Uh, McKiston tells a story that he lived his life uh, and was doing the thing. He had uh, a great job. His, his kids were doing great. He had a great life. His you know, house and the car and the, the um, house of the lake. And, and he just was, but he was working all the time. And he would, he would leave early in the morning, get home late at night. And 
uh, he had all these things and he had this thing, this life that looked like it was to be admired, uh, but he felt empty inside. He would go to church on Sunday, but it didn't necessarily uh, shape who he was and how he lived. And being a lawyer, uh, he picked up a copy of St. Benedict's Rule of Life and started reading it. And he read it day after day. And if you've ever taken a look at St. Benedict's Rule of Life, I encourage you to do so, but it's pretty dry. Uh, the language is not language that I would personally use. Uh, but for McKiston, it, was, it, it reshaped who he was and how he thought. And, and from that, he wrote this book. Uh, it's a book called Always We Begin Again. As we think about how we interact with and sh are shaped by how we use or are used by our stuff, I want to suggest that how we overcome that and move through it is by how we posture our lives. How we posture our lives, how we shape each day of how we live. And one of the, the poems in this book that he wrote, this rewriting of St. Benedict's Rule of Life in Modern Language, it's called Each Day. It is something that I think about most days of the week. I read it at least once a week all the way through. It is something that shapes how I think about my posture for a day, and I want to share that with you. Each Day by John McKiston. At the beginning of each day, after we open our eyes to receive the light of that day, as we listen to the voices and sounds that surround us. We must resolve to treat each hour as the rarest of gifts and be grateful for the consciousness that allows us to experience it, recalling and thanks that our awareness is a present. When we rise from, the, from sleep, let us rise for the joy of the true work that we will be about this day and considerately cheer one another on. Life will always provide matters for concern. Each day, however, brings with it reasons for joy. Every day carries the potential to bring the experience of heaven. Have the courage to expect good from it. Be gentle with this life and use the light of life to live fully in your time. I love the two stanzas in the middle. For me, are some of the most important. Life always provides matters from concern. Each day, however, brings with it reasons for joy. Each day carries the potential to bring the experience of heaven, have the courage to expect good from it. One of the questions that we think about when we think about the stuff that we have in our lives, the posture that we live in this world, a stance that shapes us, is how are we approaching each day? <laughs> like that, I hope. How are we approaching each day as the rarest of gifts? Do we see ourselves as God's wonderful beloved? Or are we entrapped by this idea 
that we've created of what it should be. Now, one of the things that I, I noticed when I was preparing for this sermon, one of the, um, it was a meme actually on Instagram, and it was something to the effect of, I know people say stuff doesn't buy you happiness, but every time I see somebody on a boat, they're smiling. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, that's not helpful for this week. <laughs> I've always wanted a boat. Um, <laughs> what's, what's less important to me is not whether or not we have stuff or don't have it, but it's what's driving the boat. What I will say, though, is that sometimes, sometimes our stuff begins to, to guide what we do rather than us guiding why we have the stuff. You know, one of my favorite things to do is, is we have a, a room in our house that's kind of like a playroom where our kids do homework sometimes. There's a TV. It's kind of a catch-all kind of room. It's the room that gets the messiest, and like when people come over, we just close the door. Like this is where the Legos are and the Xbox. I have four kids. The oldest is 10. The youngest is three. Like we have lots of stuff. I was literally, literally on Friday, uh, we were taking some minutes, and my, my wife and I, Annie, were in the room. We were going to try to declutter. And, and I said, yeah, let's just, let's just pack it all up. We'll just put it in trash bags, and we'll get rid of the stuff we don't need. You know, I'm like preaching on minimalism, decluttering this week, stuff. We read the, the rich young man asking Jesus. Jesus said, sell your possessions. Look at all the, the statistics that I, by then I'd read about all the things that people have in America. I was like, yeah, we'll just throw it away. She's like, what about this teddy bear? And I was like, oh, but that teddy bear, it's so important. Don't you remember when Lane, our oldest, got that? Not to mention the fact that he has 75 other teddy bears. One of my favorite blogs is um, this blog called Zen Habits. Um, it's by this guy named Leo Babata. And uh, Leo uh, talks a lot about minimalism. Recently, in the last couple of years, his family moved. And, and when they moved, uh, they lived this kind of minimalist lifestyle. They, they took, each person got a, a backpack and a carry-on size piece of luggage. And that's what they moved with into their new house. And they didn't get to take anything else. I also suggested, my, what if we try that? We'll just put everything in bags. And we'll put it, we won't use anything else for a month. And of course, the first time, I, like, are you going to take this? Well, yeah, i got to have my running shoes and my basketball shoes, obviously. <laughs> As I look at the compendium of Scripture uh, and, and the story of Jesus and the story of Scripture, uh, there are a couple of themes that shape um, my life and, and, and what I think is important and shapes who we are at Missional Wisdom Foundation and our work. Uh, uh, one is this. Um, we are fundamentally relational beings created in the image of a fundamentally relational God. God in God's essence is community and therefore we as people long for community. 
the second is the second kind of theme that we see throughout is it's tied to this the scripture it actually comes in Matthew 22 when Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees and he says what are the greatest commandment if we got to rank them what's the greatest commandment Jesus and Christ says love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets rest on these two commandments as I see it there's these two themes that live throughout the scriptures and that, that Jesus confirms in his life and the way he lives. And when I think about our stuff, I think the issue is, is when our stuff pulls us out of community. When it stops us from being able to give generously to those who are in need. When buying a new thing stops us from that when it causes us to, to wall ourselves off from our neighbors, when loving my new golf club, which I love golf, got a new driver this year, I'm not, listen, I'm speaking to myself when I say this, when loving my new club is more important than the way that I love God, then we've got something, it's just a little off. For some of us, the movement really is decluttering. The, really, the movement really is subtra subtraction. We, we need, there is stuff in the way of living the way we want to live. Jen Hatmaker in her book, Seven, talks about the difference between want and need. All we need is Christ, community, each other. But there are things that we want. This process of simplicity, this process of austerity, the process of responding to Jesus when Jesus calls us to sell what we have and share it with others, when Jesus calls us to share who we are with others, is a long process. A long process. It is not something that we do all in one moment, all in one day, all at one time. We take a small piece each day. In, in the blogs and habits, Leo says this. He says, if you have a desire to declutter, to subtract some of your stuff, start by decluttering for 10 minutes a day. Don't try to do an hour the first day. You'll, you'll wear yourself out. You say, you know what? No, that's no good. I'm not going to do it. But what does it look like for 10 minutes a day for us to look around our houses and say, is there something that I might repurpose? Is there one thing that I could give away to someone that would actually use it, whereas it's the third thing like this that's in my closet? Is there a way for me to have less so that others might have more? The connectedness of who we are as people is what calls us to subtraction. The connectedness of who we are is what calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. I want to close uh, quickly with one more idea. The co-founders of Mission of Wisdom Foundation, a guy named Larry Duggins, who is our current executive director, the guy that puts the low jack on my leg, and the second person is Reverend Elaine Heath. Uh, Elaine, for the last two years, has been the dean at Duke Divinity School. She just stepped down uh, to start a project called Neighborhood Seminary. 
In her book, Longing for Spring, she talks about something called the contemplative stance. To be contemplative means to be mindful of that which is around us, mindful of the work of God in the world. I'd like to close by suggesting that this contemplative stance helps us to posture ourselves to the world in such a way, in such a way that we might live a life of subtraction. It's a four-part movement. If you remember nothing else I've said today, this is important. Four-part movement is this. First, we show up. We simply show up each day. Each day we show up knowing that we are called, beautifully made, beloved children of God, called to love God and love neighbor each day. We show up. Second part of the movement is that we pay attention. Paying attention takes all of us. How often do we show up in a place or a space in a day and we're thinking about already, where am I going next? What am I doing next? Or I show up and, and I'm, maybe I'm watching, but I'm not really listening. I'm not really feeling I'm not experiencing the smells that are the place where I'm showing up. So we show up and we pay attention. Third part of the movement is that we cooperate with God. This, is, this stems from the idea that God is already working in the world wherever we are. And that we are called to participate in the work of God in the world. So we show up, we pay attention and we cooperate, we participate with God in the world. We look for ways that we might love God and love our neighbors, that we might connect in our community. And the fourth part of the movement is that we release the outcome. We recognize that we are not, in fact, God. God is God. And we do not have to control all that is around us. May we, as those people who seek to follow Christ, find places where we might subtract, that we might show up, that we might pay attention, that we might cooperate with the work of God in the world, and as we do, release the outcome so that all might know Christ and know God's love. Amen.